Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the way. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope you've got a great Thanksgiving week in front of you. I guess the way this kind of works now is somewhere between now and eating turkey, we kind of think of things we're thankful for, right? Maybe you're in a situation where you share those things with with others. And, you know, if we've got a long list of good things, it's a good Thanksgiving. And sometimes the list is a little shorter. And they're not really the things we want to be good. And so it doesn't feel like a good Thanksgiving. You know, it's very natural and it's very right when we come to Thanksgiving to think about the things that are really good and that we're really thankful for. But you know, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I I don't think our thanksgiving is based on how long and good the list is. Because no matter what's on the list or no matter what's absent from the list, God is God. And He's my God. And as we sang today, He is for me. And He is for me in that situation that I'm not so thankful for right now, right? So we always have something to be thankful for. Thankfulness is a discipline. It's not based, it's not a response to a list. It's a way we choose to live life. So there's your Thanksgiving sermon for the day. Let's get on to Christmas, shall we? (laughs) If you are uh, new to our church, first time here, uh, we have already begun our Christmas series today. As a matter of fact, is the third uh, of our six messages out of Luke. We're looking at the Christmas story in Luke. We're going to be in Luke next week also, but on the other end of Luke, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, so hope you can be here and be a part of that. But today, boy, we come to an, an incredible passage with, with Mary, with Gabriel, with Elizabeth. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this, but as we get ready to, please, 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 let's remember why Luke is giving us these stories. You realize, as Luke is writing us, he has no concept of a Christmas tree. He has no concept of Christmas Eve. He has no concept of his, each other giving gifts. He, he has no concept of lights. He, he's got no concept of, well, let's see, I need, to relate, I need to write some religious stories because religious people need religious stories for religious holidays, right? He has no concept of any of that. Luke is giving us these stories Because as a missionary, he's traveled around and he's got a lot of friends out there, a lot of churches he cares about out there, and they're being persecuted. They're paying heavily for being followers of Christ. So he told us why he's giving us these stories in Luke 1.4. He said, man, I want you to be certain. I want you to be certain about who Jesus is. I want you to be certain about why you're following him. And I want you to be so certain that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the cost is. So as we dive into these stories, it's not to make a richer, more meaningful Christmas Eve. Although there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's just not why these were given to us. They were given to us so that we could be certain about who we're following and ready to follow no matter the cost. Now, as I said today, our, our, our passage today brings us to, to Mary and her encounter with Gabriel, and then she's going to have a, an encounter with Elizabeth, and then she's going to give us the Magnificat. 
this incredible passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, that's a good Thanksgiving week assignment. Read the Magnificent. Mary's responsive praise, Luke 146 to 55. Read that every day this week until Mary's praise becomes your praise, okay? That's what we'll do this week for Thanksgiving. Let's look at that now. We're not going to begin at verse 46, though. We're going to begin at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. All right, here we go. In the sixth month. Okay, I'm reading 30 verses and I can't get past four words before I need to stop. What is the sixth month of what? Okay, we'll remember what we looked at last week. Verses 5 to 25, Gabriel goes to Zechariah, says your wife who is older, past the time of having babies, is going to have a baby. And so that phrase, in the sixth month, and we're going to see it again in just a few more verses, that's in reference to how pregnant Elizabeth is. Now, what we don't know is how long it took them to get pregnant. Now, I would imagine because we kind of got a miracle going and an announcement from an angel that it was rather quickly. So we might could assume it was six months ago that Gabriel was in the temple with Zechariah. Maybe it was seven, maybe eight. I don't think it would be any longer than that. So six, seven, eight months ago was what we read about last week. And now today, six months into her pregnancy, we have uh, Elizabeth. And the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom... There will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, there's that phrase again, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Hey, if you've ever felt convicted about memorizing Scripture, and if you've never felt convicted about that, just know I'm praying right now. You feel a holy discomfort until you start memorizing Scripture. Okay? But here's a good place to start. Luke one thirty-seven. What a great thing to know about God. What a great thing to know about prayer. And it's short and simple. Luke one thirty-seven. Nothing's impossible with God. Look, we've already got it. So that, that's one. Let's say work on 100 by next Thanksgiving. Amen? Okay, we'll just, we'll just keep going here. Verse 38. Uh, now I've lost my spot. Where, there it is. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste 
in the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, this is phenomenal. Remember, Elizabeth's got her own little miracle working. And I don't mean miracle metaphorically. She, she's actually had a miracle. And as a result of that miracle, there's now a baby within her, a baby in whom some great things are coming, some great things were said about. She has all the reason to be so excited about what God's done in her own life. And yet immediately she's praising and thanking God for what? The baby in Mary's womb. You know, as we read what comes next, you know, sometimes we know a verse, we know the Bible, and sometimes we know it. You know, I don't know all that would have unfolded because it doesn't tell us what unfolded from the moment Zechariah was in the table, in the temple to this moment right here. We know that six, seven, eight months have passed. We know that she's gotten pregnant, but I would imagine they went back. And they opened up the scriptures, scriptures they already knew, scriptures they already believed in, but boy, they began to see them in a new light, right? They knew there was going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. They knew there was going to be a Messiah. Now they know, boy, within me is the forerunner and the Messiah. Clearly, they know that's now connected to Mary. And they start to piece the scripture together and the Holy Spirit is inspiring and What is coming out of Elizabeth's mouth is just incredible. You know, the Old Testament believer had a very minimal, if at all, understanding of what you and I call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They really did not grasp that. The verses are all there to communicate that. But it's really, it's the New Testament that kind of connects those dots and makes it clear. I don't think the Old Testament believer really understood that this Messiah, oh, they knew he was going to be something. I'm not sure they fully grasped that he would be entirely man and entirely God at the exact same time. They really didn't grasp that. So with that understanding, now listen to the next line. This is, I don't know how many times I've read this story, a hundred plus. And it's the first time this really jumped out at me. Listen to what Elizabeth says. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord? You realize what she just said? The mother, Mary, of my Lord. She just called the baby in her womb her God. That's a pretty profound understanding. That's a pretty profound faith. She doesn't have the New Testament yet to piece all this together. And she has just acknowledged, look what has happened in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life in six, seven, eight months. What happens when you let the Holy Spirit bring the scriptures alive in you? That baby in you is my God. Look, look, look what she says then. And blessed is she. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I can't help but wonder if Zechariah is in the next room. I, I wonder if he's drinking some coffee and he hears Elizabeth say to Mary, blessed are you who believed that there would be a fulfillment of the scriptures. Because my husband over there, 
He didn't believe so much, hadn't been able to talk since. You know, and, and I, I just, I don't know, I just see Zechariah in the next room going, <sighs> of course he can't say anything, right? <laughs> not, not till little John is born. Blessed is he who believed there'd be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, and this is what is called the Magnificent, this is her response to, to all that has been going on. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things. They're not going to call me blessed because of the great things I've done. They're going to call me blessed because of the great things he has done. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever... And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. You know, it's kind of an awesome thing to just stop and ponder that the most incredible thing God did in the Bible, the most incredible thing God has done in human history, he did through a teenage girl. We'll, we'll talk about her age in, in just a minute. But, but Mary is clearly a very profound and incredible character in the scripture. Uh, She is worthy of us putting out in front of us as an example to follow. You you would do well to take the life of Mary, set her out in front of you and say, I'm just going to kind of do what she did in following Christ in her faith and in her obedience. And in the incredible person that she is, For some strange reason, the church has tended to go two entirely wrong directions with Mary. We we tend to do the wrong thing with this one character of Scripture. And, And these two things are the exact opposite of each other. On one hand, there is kind of the view of Mary that I would say probably is best represented by the Catholic Church. And they give Mary too much status. Pope John Paul said that Mary is a mediator between God and man, to which I would say, no, she's not. Not even close, not kind of, not sort of, not any way at all is she a mediator between God and man. That position is held by the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's not this pastor's opinion. That's not one church versus another church. That's not, oh, you know, the Bible, there's all kinds of ways to interpret it. No, there's not. The scripture is abundantly clear. There is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary is not our mediator. I guess, again, giving her too much status, they, they kind of just start adding these ideas that are not only not found in the Bible, in some cases are contradictory to the Bible. Well, like the Immaculate Conception. That is, that she came into this world sinless and that she lived a sinless life. That's contradictory to what the Scripture says. You know, the Bible is, uh, is not shy 
about showing the sins and the failures and the faults of what we might call our Bible heroes, right? It it shows us who and what they are. There's a handful of characters in the Bible that in the telling of their story, there's no actual sin, failure, fault recorded of them. Joseph would be an example of that in Genesis. Daniel is an example of that in the book of Daniel. Mary is an example of that. There's no sin recorded of them. That doesn't mean they didn't sin. Nowhere in Scripture does it communicate that. What does Scripture communicate? All have sinned. It's not all but Mary and Joseph and Daniel. All but Mary. It's all. Every single one of us ever that walked on this earth is guilty of sin. So that's a contradiction of of Scripture just to say she didn't sin. Her perpetual virginity That not only was she a virgin up to the birth of Christ, but even beyond the birth of Christ. Again, that's just a contradiction of Scripture. The Scripture says the Gospels teach us that Mary had children, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. No, not spiritual brothers and sisters, actual brothers and sisters that he had in the home. So that's a, a contradiction of Scripture. Or the bodily assumption that Mary didn't die, that she was just assumed up into heaven. Now, could God have done that? Yes, he could have. I I don't know that that didn't happen. I know that the Bible doesn't tell me that happened. I, I know God did that twice. He did it with Enoch in Genesis. He did it with Elijah in 1 Kings. So it's not that God has to tell me when he does that, but he has tended to tell us when he does that. And he didn't say that with Mary. So there's, there's no reason to put that on her. So they, they build this status. They build this character that is just very different from anything else on the planet to where she becomes the mediator between God and man. So they give her too much status. And I think maybe in response to that, and I'll kind of just loosely describe it as the Protestant church, what have we done? We go the exact opposite direction, and we give her no status at all. I mean, we just ignore her altogether. I mean, not completely, right? I mean, we, we need somebody to sing the Mary solo in the Christmas cantata. We need a little Mary figurine in our manger. I mean, what would a manger scene be without a little Mary in it? You know, folks, Mary is incredibly more than a figurine in your manger scene. I've kind of already said it, but let me, let me say it again. Let me say it this way. You will do no better in following Christ than to just do what Mary did. Just do what she did and you will nail it. She is every bit worthy of our time, our attention, our study, as would be a Peter, a Paul, a David, a, a Moses, and an Abraham. She is one of the most profound characters that the Scripture points us to. So let's see if we can appreciate her a little bit more as, as we look at this story. So Gabriel comes to Mary. He's been to Zechariah, now he's to Mary. I mean, honestly, I want to say, hey, Gabriel, if you're making rounds, come by my house. Friday night be awesome. He comes to see Mary. She is probably 15 years old. 
There, there's no age told, not in, not in Luke, not in Matthew, not in any of the Gospels or anywhere. We're not, we're not told her specific age, but when you read the Christmas story, and again, our focus is on Luke, but you see it in Matthew and in Luke, it seems, it reads as if Mary is in the nor- normal, she's kind of walking the normal culture, uh, custom of her culture. Uh, uh, girls in, in this culture at this time got married between about 14 and 19. I mean, like literally 90, 95% would be married. Can you imagine how different that is from our culture today? 90 plus percent of girls would be married by time they were 19. And she seems to be fitting right into what is going on in her culture. So she's 15, 16, 17 years old, but just let that soak in. I I mean, I would hope to be as mature and as faithful one day as Mary is. You know, she's got to be 78 and have been walking with the Lord for, you know, like 69 years. No, she's 15, 16, 17 years old with this incredible faith and understanding. She's from Nazareth. Now, you and I, as Christians, we're used to hearing about Nazareth. Uh, but Nazareth is a nothing little spot in the road. As a matter of fact, Luke, you remember I, I told you when we introduced Luke a couple of weeks ago, I said Luke is a Gentile. And so he'll, he'll go a step further for those that are not Jews, for those that maybe don't know where everything is. Uh, he's going to explain things. And so that's what he's doing here. He says, Mary's from Nazareth in, you know, in Galilee. Now, now folks, Israel's like the size of New Jersey. It's, it's by car and they didn't have cars back then. I don't know if you didn't know that, but maybe a five, six hour drive, maybe a little bit more, maybe six to eight hour drive from north to south, four to five from east to west. It's, it's a small state. Okay. It's not big. And, and, but, you know, think even in Virginia, I mean, you got all these little towns and you've lived here for 20, 30 years, all your life. And somebody will say, I'm from somewhere. And you'll go, where's, I think I've heard it. Where is that? And then they mention some other town you've never heard of. Well, it's close to this. Oh, that helps me. And so then finally they say, well, that's Southwest Virginia, or that's, that's Central Virginia. And so now you've got a region, right? Okay, nobody, maybe even a lot of people in Israel, certainly people outside of, Gentiles outside of, nobody's going to know where Nazareth is. It is it's not a city. It, it's, a, it's a small village, okay? So he says, it's in Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, everybody's going to know where Galilee is. Some major cities there, the Sea of Galilee. We know where Galilee is. So, uh, you know, I don't know where Nazareth is, but I know it's in Galilee. You know, we think of the, the humble beginnings of Jesus, and we, th- we start with the manger, right? No, the humble beginnings begin right here. Everything being described here is small and insignificant, You've got, you've got this young teenage girl living out in a rural and village is being gratuitous. Village is, is maybe exaggerating a little bit, okay? Out there, I mean, just nobody's going to know. There's nothing big here except her faith and her obedience. And so Gabriel comes to her and says, Mary favored one. Now, be careful how you read that. It did not say, hey, Mary, I'm here because you're God's favorite. Isn't that be kind of how you would maybe take that? I mean, the reason Mary's so incredible is because she's, she's God's favorite. That's not the word. 
This, this is not, we're not getting ready to study what Mary did to get this opportunity. This is not about what Mary did. It's about what God did. It's about God's favor, synonymous with God's grace, God's kindness. This is not what Mary did to earn the opportunity. It's what God did in giving her the opportunity. And it is a bit of a unique opportunity, wouldn't you say? Like maybe the total definition of unique, a a, a once in a lifetime, a once in forever in human history thing, you're going to give birth as a virgin. To which she asked kind of an obvious question, how? Now, time out. Did, didn't Zachariah get in trouble last week for asking how? Wait, wait a minute. Now, this doesn't seem fair. Z- 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 you know, the angel says something that doesn't seem quite possible, and Zechariah says how, and he hasn't been able to talk since. Mary's told something, she asked how, and it's just all candy and nuts. We're going to have a Merry Christmas. Well, what's the difference? Well, if you slow down and look at the language, look at the context pretty closely, these are two different hows, okay? Zechariah's how is a how of doubt. So Gabriel makes an announcement of what's going to happen, and he's going to say, it can't happen because of this, it can't happen because of this, and then he says, give me a sign. That's, that's the Jewish way of saying in America, we'd say, prove it. Okay, that's a very different how. How's this going to happen? You're going to have to prove this to me. To which Gabriel said, well, I got a way to prove it. And he hasn't been able to talk since. Mary... I think her how, and again, part of this, I'm just looking at how Gabriel responds. It's a how of process. It's not a how of not believing. It's a how of, okay, so, so what do I do? I, 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 like, where do I go? You, you know, do I have to go somewhere for this? To, how does this happen? Because there's a way of making babies, and I haven't done that. So I'm like clueless as to what my next step should be. How do I go forward from here? I'm confident, especially what I'm going to show you in a few minutes, that Mary, like Elizabeth, like Zechariah, is really intimate with Scripture, knows well the Scripture. I'm confident that as quick as this is unfolding, Isaiah 7.14 comes to her mind. You remember the passage that says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, hey, that's me. A virgin is going to conceive and have a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. There's two profound things there, a virgin birth and then the product of that virgin birth. Emmanuel, that word means God with us. This isn't going to be a normal baby. This is going to be God. Maybe that's what what, uh, Elizabeth was thinking, right? Hey, the baby in you is Emmanuel. That baby in you is my God. You see how they're letting the scriptures shape and guide them here. So she's she's saying, okay, maybe, okay, am I I that virgin? You know, folks, this this is supposed to be a miracle, Okay, this isn't something God dreamed up as just kind of a cool way to enter the world. It is the supernatural. It is a different miracle than what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. What happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth is a miracle. Okay, God worked with nature to heal, to repair, to give ability to what there had never been ability before. Now they can have a baby. 
But with Mary, this is the supernatural. You know, folks, we we think the Bible or God is anti-science. Who do you think created science? Who do you think created biology? That is God. And he created a way for babies to be made. And this is a supernatural. That means it's above nature. It's above the norm. It's above what God designed. And it is supposed to... Listen, if you don't believe in the supernatural, you're going to have a problem with Christianity. Because this is not about just a really cool way to enter the world. Now, I'm not going to spend enough time developing this this morning because I've still got a whole lot to cover here. But this is really about the sinlessness of Christ. This statement right here is about Jesus, about what's going to unfold on the cross with Jesus. The virgin birth, the meaning and purpose of that goes directly to the cross where Jesus dies as a perfect, sinless, sinless sacrifice for you and me who are neither sinless nor perfect. That's what it takes to fix this problem. So if, if you're going to try to, undo, you know, you, you can't be Christian and not believe in the virgin birth. That's crazy. You, you just believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus if you don't believe in the virgin birth. It, ours is a faith in the supernatural. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? It's not that the supernatural is popping up every third Tuesday of the month. No, we, we walk by faith, not by the supernatural. But, but if you gut the virgin birth, you have gutted Christianity. You can't take this out and say, well, I believe all the rest. This is just a little much. No, it's, it's very much a part of what we believe. So, so Mary says, okay, I... I I think I'm understanding. I think I'm believing. I I just don't know what to do next. I don't know how to go forward. And and the angel begins to explain, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. God's coming to you, and he's just going to place the baby there. I mean, that's just literally all that language is just basically saying, God's going to put the baby inside you. That's it. That's how it's going to happen. And and this language is going to overshadow you, hover over you, kind of looks a lot like Genesis chapter 1. When the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and began to bring light and life and, and creation. And so he's going to bring that, that, that baby and just place it in your womb. And look at the way he starts to describe this baby. I've got a, a list of just a couple of the things. It's going to be a son, but not just a son, son of the Most High God. Okay, that's a little different. That, that's not usually what we think of with a great kid. He'll be given the throne of David. Now, for every Jew, that means a whole lot. That, that means literally, as a matter of fact, three and four go together. For, for a Jew, you don't actually have to add number four. To say number three means we're talking about the Messiah. Now, for me, and I'm not talking about interpretation or anything. I'm just talking about for me. The one that really jumps out there is number five. Maybe I could explain away or look in a different way. I mean, aren't we all children of God? And, you know, look at some of these things, and we're going to rule over angels. But his kingdom will endure forever. Okay, now we're, we're talking about more than a great kid right now, aren't we? I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth are having a great kid. Go back to verses 5 to 25. Read the description of what John is going to be. That's going to be a great kid. But this is much, much more than a great kid. His rule is forever and ever. Man, can you imagine? God is moving. Hey, how would you respond to all this? 
How would you respond? Now, guys, it's a little bit difficult for us to think about how we... I mean, it'd be very confusing for them to tell me I'm going to have a child. But, but forget the pregnancy part and just the idea, God coming to you and saying, the greatest thing I'm doing in human history, I'm going to do through you. How would you respond? You know what? You and I can't answer that question. Because see, any way I answer that question, I'm answering it from this side of the story. See, I already know how everything's going to unfold. I know how great this is going to be. But Mary isn't on this side of the story. Mary's on this side of the story. And she doesn't know how this is going to all unfold. Now, having said that, I, I do believe this is a huge wow moment for Mary. This is incredible. This is awesome. This is, oh, wow, the Messiah. But, you know, there's another way to think about this. I mean, is it possible? I don't know. We don't, we, we don't see Mary say this. I just don't know how it's, I don't know how she doesn't have the thought. Who's going to believe me? Let me ask you a tough question. Would you? I've struggled with that question this week. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to think, just like we're kind of seeing Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, you know, as this big moment is happening, they're using Scripture to define it. They're, they're using Scripture to try to understand it. So I'm trying to think, what would I, you know, so, you know, I'm pastor. People come in and tell me, hey, here's where I am. Here's what's going on. Okay, so tomorrow, you know, tomorrow I'm in my office, and, and Rhonda, who you just saw a moment ago, says there's a young lady out here that needs to talk to you. And, 15, 16, 17-year-old girl comes in and says, Pastor, I'm, I'm pregnant. Don't jump, don't jump to conclusions. I, I know I'm pregnant because an angel told me. And the angel told me God just put the baby there. You know, hey, there was priests and pastors and Prophets that know the Bible. You know, I want to say, Randy, would you take this moment and piece the scriptures together? Or would you call Rhonda and say, this girl's crazy. Get her out of here. (laughs) I mean, all joking aside, I'm a little fearful it'd fall to the ladder. I'm a little fearful that'd be hard to believe. And you realize she's going to communicate this in a culture. There's kind of a high cost for showing up pregnant. Like they would kill her. And so while you think, hey, how would you respond to this? Oh, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, Lord, sign me up for being a part of the most important moment in human history. Or who's going to believe me? And with that concept of who's going to believe me, to me, that makes her response just overwhelmingly incredible. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. Do you know what that means? It means there's nothing to dialogue about here. There's nothing for me to think through. There's no questions for me to ask. This isn't about what I think. It's not about what I understand. I'm not entirely sure how my fiancé is going to take this. I don't know how my parents are going to take this. I don't know how my community is going to take this. But it doesn't really matter because I am the Lord's servant. Servant is a cleaned up word. The word there is slave. Slaves don't dialogue with the master about today's agenda. Slaves don't say no. 
That's how Mary is responding right there. When she uses that word, what she's saying is, it it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what happens to me. I'm the Lord's slave. The, The word is bond slave. A bond slave, which is the word almost entirely used in the New Testament, is, is a person who places themselves into slavery. It's not a, a slave that was kidnapped and, and drug away and forced into servitude against their will. This is a person that voluntarily, willfully places their life into servitude. Now, that, just because they voluntarily did it doesn't make it good. A slave's still a slave and a master's still a master and people would voluntarily do this with masters that turned out to be horrible. So there's nothing good about this word, but just to understand it, she was not kidnapped and forced into servitude by God. She voluntarily placed her life into servitude in God. And she understands slaves just don't say no. You see, this is where I look at this and I think, man, am I like that? You know, if somebody called me a slave of God, I I mean, I wouldn't be offended by that, would you? I'd say, I hope so. I hope hope I'm doing a good job. But do I have a concept that Mary has? Let, Let me give you three commands. Give, forgive, witness. Now, there's lots of commands, just take it those three. Give. Give of your income. I won't even get into percentages and things like that and that debate about how much you give. It's very clear from Scripture. You're to give first. That means it's the first thing that happens in your budget. What we tend to do is we take care of our budget and anything that's left over, we throw God a tip. No, give up here first and let everything else in your budget be shaped after the giving is done. It's to be an amount that is worshipful. It's to be an amount that requires faith. Give. Forgive. Well, of course the people you love. But your enemies too. The ones that are bad. The ones that haven't said they're sorry. The ones that haven't changed. Now, folks, we we can unwrap forgiving. Today's not a forgiving message. Forgiving does not enable bad people to continue being bad. That's not what forgiveness is about. So we can talk about what that looks like. But you know, no matter what we talk about, forgiving is not fun. Be my witness. Go out into that world. Tell people that you're a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell them who I am, what I'm like, what I've done in your life, and why you follow me. Tell them how they can do the same. And absolutely count on that some people will reject you, some people will make fun of you, and some people will bring a cost to bear in your life because you bear that witness. And you and I aren't to look for the safe place to do this. We're not to look for one or two times in life to do this. We're to look every single day at every single person and opportunity we have to do this. Forgive, give, and be my witness. I I pick those three commands. There's lots of commands, but I very purposely pick those. Because I'm guessing out of those three, either one, two, or all three, 100% of us are saying no to the Lord on one of those three things. Well, we've got reasons, right? Not a good time for me. You know, not right now. Well, you know, yes, I I believe that I'm going to do Folks, that's not how the slave thing works. That, that's not what Mary's communicating. Slaves don't discuss with the master why and why not they're going to fulfill the master's 
agenda. You just say, I'm his servant. You know, that'd be a great gift to give Jesus this Christmas. The heart of a servant. What would that mean for you right now? Because giving Jesus the heart of a servant is not a symbolic thing. It's not a metaphorical thing. It means that the thing right now in your life that you're saying no to God, you cease saying no, and you start saying, I am your servant. That's what Mary just lived in front of us. Now, is, is it, did Mary do that just because she's better than the rest of us? Because she's God's favorite, right? The angel said it. No, Mary's not a better person than you. And she's not God's favorite. She's just a person. So what did she do that prepared her for this moment? You know, that's what, hey, I want to, man, when those moments come, I want to I respond right. I want to use scripture to define and understand everything and, and direct me. What, what did she do? And there's a handful of things that we can do. But I learned something for the first time in my life. I don't know why I'd never seen this before, read this before, studied this before. But it's the first time that this, this came out to me. And it's in Mary's response. And Folks, her response, the Magnificat, could be a sermon in itself. Maybe two or three sermons. And I'm I'm not going to explain any line of this. But I want to show you something about each and every line of the Magnificat. Look look up here at this chart. And, And just as a quick reminder... Everything that comes up on the screens during a sermon is in our app. If you go to our church app under sermon notes, everything's there every single week. It's yours. You can email it to yourself, share it, do whatever you you want with it. So you don't have to hurry and try to write all this down. Folks, almost every line of the Magnificent is a direct quote or an allusion to an Old Testament passage. Mary is using God's word to praise God. Mary is using God's word to respond. Look at all the Samuel, Psalms, Micah, Zephaniah. Hey, if your ability to respond to God's will, to respond to the thing God wants to do in your life was based on your knowledge of Zephaniah, how are you going to do I didn't even know there was a Zephaniah. Who's that? He sold cars? (laughs) You know, folks, there's a variety of things that you and I can get to do to know the Lord. But the Bible is a choice, a discipline I can make every single day. I I don't have to wait till something happens. I, I mean, I can choose it every single day. And here's why it's so important. Because there's nothing easy about being a slave, including to Jesus Christ. There is absolutely not one thing in you that wants to be a slave. Nothing. And I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to those who say, I love Jesus. Fine, you love him, but you don't want to be a slave to him. And the disobedience that we cannot even number and count is proof. There's nothing easy about being a slave unless I really, really trust the master.
and that he's good. And the one of the greatest opportunities you and I have that we can choose every day of our lives to get to know the Lord, to see his goodness, and to prepare ourselves for when he delivers the agenda is going to be time in God's word. And Mary, you say, man, what made Mary Mary? God's word. What is your use of God's word making with you? Let's pray. Father, so much to understand in such an incredible, incredible story. But just a simple thought, I need to be in your word. I need to be in your word deeply, devotedly, studying, understanding, memorizing. So that when life comes flying at me, I'm using your words to shape it, to define it, and to know how to respond to it. How beautifully Mary did that. Lord, I want to be like her. I I pray you'd put in every one of us a desire to be just like Mary. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.